Romans 9, verse 30, all the way through chapter 10. And so if you want to look at verse 30 in Romans 9, it says, What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, in other words, did not seek a right relationship with God, they have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it in faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone as it is written. Behold, I lay in Zion, which oftentimes is used um, in, in place of the entire city of Jerusalem. So it's a reference to Jerusalem many times. And so he says, behold, I lay in Zion in verse 33, a stumbling stone and rock of offense. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, will not be disappointed. And these ideas, of course, are taken from Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14, as well as Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. And so, of course, the Gentiles, for those of you who are new, are those who are non-Jews, non-Israelites. And according to these verses in Romans 9, verses 30 through 33, the Gentiles did not pursue righteousness by attempting to keep the law that we find in the Old Testament. But yet and still, they attain to righteousness. And, and many of us in here are Gentiles, non-Israelites by blood. But we have attained to righteousness because we attained it by faith. And not through the law and attaining salvation or righteousness by faith is the only way to be made right with God. And that is, of course, according to the word of God. But on the other hand, as we see in those same verses, Israel, who work to be righteous, they tried their best to, to keep the law. They did not attain it. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't receive that righteousness because they, they sought it apart from faith. In Romans chapter three, verse 20, it says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified or made or declare righteous in God's sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the law points out sin. It doesn't make people righteous in the sight of God. The only way that would be possible is if a person never sinned and perfectly kept the law. That's the only way that would be possible for a person to be saved by the law. Perfection, not a sinful thought, not a sinful word, not a sinful deed from the time of birth all the way through death. Of course, that's impossible. That's why we need a savior. But the law of course, is good as the scriptures tell us. If there were a law, the scriptures also tell us, I believe it's in Galatians, there was a law that would make us right with God. It would be God's law. But but the problem is our flesh. It's weak 
through our flesh. So it has no power to change us. But by the deeds of it, as it stands here, no flesh will be justified in God's sight. And that's what the Jews, the Israelites were trying to do. Whereas the Gentiles who put their faith in Christ, they attained that righteousness that the Jews were seeking after. And they didn't seek that righteousness that came by faith because the Jews did not receive their Messiah. The New Testament, it is Christ. Messiah is the same as Christ. Now, they weren't going to put their faith in one, these Jews. They weren't going to put their faith in one who didn't fit their description of the Messiah. And this, of course, is their present condition. If you remember the introduction in one of our last studies, I said that as we read Romans 9, 10, and 11, we're going to see Israel's past, present, and future. We've seen their past. We've seen the election. We see here their present condition, rejecting their Messiah. Trying to attain righteousness by faith. Their present condition. They stumbled at the thought of their Messiah, of the Christ dying. See, Christ is that stumbling stone for them. They stumbled at it. How could our Messiah die? And what this showed is that they overlooked the scriptures that talked about the suffering servant, the suffering Messiah. They overlooked those scriptures that that pertain to his first coming. And they were more focused on the descriptions of the Messiah in his second coming, one of victory, one of reigning. So that was their focus. But I'm not sure that they know that they knew. That when, when, when they reject Jesus or when anybody rejects Jesus, what they're doing is calling God the Father a liar. Because they're saying that God the Father's testimony of Jesus, his only begotten son, is not true. So rejecting him is calling him a liar. I like what one pastor says. One pastor says that Jesus It's either the stone we trip over in our self-righteousness or he's the rock we build our lives on. So who is Jesus to you? Are you stumbling over the Christ? Well, I don't understand how God could take on a body. I don't understand how somebody dying for my sins could help me. Are you stumbling over that? As the Jews did. Do you have... Your own ideas of what a what a Messiah should look like and therefore stumbling over the Jesus of the Bible. Or have you received the Christ of the Bible and are building your life upon that stone, that rock, that sure foundation, Jesus Christ and in verses one through three. Now we in chapter 10, it says, brethren. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved for I bear them witness that they have a zeal. They have a passion for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. 
or they have not submitted to God's way of making people right with himself. So what we see here is an example that having a zeal or passion about a God or having passion or zeal about some type of false doctrine. It doesn't make a person right with God. But that person, Darrell, is sincere. They're passionate. Look at how much they're working. Look at look at how emotional they're, they are about their beliefs. But is it the truth? Is it is it based on God's word? Is it inspired by the Holy Spirit? Is it from Genesis through Revelation? If not, then it's not the truth. The person, of course, can be sincere and sincerely wrong. They can have passion for something, but that passion could be based on something that is false. And we see that here because the Israelites zeal for God was not according to knowledge. And in their zeal. In their zeal for God, they were using, of course, as I mentioned before, the law as a basis for their relationship with God. Instead of faith. Establishing their own standard, establishing their own righteousness. Whereas the scriptures tell us in Isaiah that all of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags in the sight of God. The only righteousness that counts it's the righteousness that comes from God, the righteousness that's imputed into our account. That is that robe that as believers we're, we're clothed in. And our people today establishing their own righteousness. We see that in the news. We may know people who are establishing their own righteousness. They will call something that is clearly sin in the Bible. They will say that that's okay. And something that God calls is right, they will say is wrong, establishing their own righteousness. I may not believe in your Jesus. I may not believe in your God. I may not believe what your Bible says. But I meditate every day. I haven't killed anybody, some would say. And maybe you've heard that before. So, yes, to answer that question, people are today establishing their own righteousness. But I wonder, how does Paul know so much about this zeal that the Israelites have and many of them have today? How does he know about not submitting to the righteousness that comes from God? Number one, it is through his observation and it is through his interaction with the Jews in the book of Acts, he would go to the synagogues first and he would preach to the Jews. They would reject them and he would turn his attention to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and share the gospel with them. And many of them received it. But number two, the apostle Paul knew about this zeal, this zeal of God without knowledge. He, he knew about them trying to establish their own righteousness because he used to be that way. In fact, he he admitted it in the scriptures. For example, you can look in Galatians 1.14. You can write that down. We're not going to turn there tonight. Zeal without knowledge. Jesus even hinted at that. In John chapter 16, verse 2, it says, they will put you out of the synagogues. This is Jesus speaking. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers 
God's service. He thinks he's doing something for God by, by killing the person who puts his or her faith in Christ. And the Apostle Paul was one of these people that Jesus spoke of here. There's people today, a part of false religions, they're chopping off Christians' head because they think they're doing God's service. We've seen that with ISIS. And so Jesus is correct. He knows what he's talking about, John 16, too. He's God. But this is what Paul knew. He knew that, hey, I used to be that way. And if God could save me, he can save my fellow Israelites. And so he prayed for them. He loved his fellow Jew. Which makes me ask the question, are we praying for those who are living the lifestyles that we used to live? We, we know what they're thinking. Because we've been there, but are we praying for them? Do we have a heart to see them saved? Just like the apostle Paul had a heart to see the Israelites saved. He's been in their position before. He wasn't one of those people who said, oh, I got out of that lifestyle. I got rescued from sin. I got rescued from hell. You got to figure it out on your own. No, he said, I got out because of my faith in Christ. And I'm going to help pull somebody else out. Praying them through, sharing the gospel with them. Romans 10 verse 4, it says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. In other words, Jesus is the goal. He is the fulfillment, the culmination of the law. The law pointed to Christ. The law shows us how sinful we are and it points us to the fact that we need a savior. And that savior, of course, is Jesus Christ, the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of any other religion. No, the Jesus of the Bible, the way he revealed himself, faith in him. In Matthew 5. Verses 17 and 18, it says, do not think, this is Jesus speaking, don't think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. Speaking of what, what we call the Old Testament, that's combined the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy it. I, I, I came to fulfill it. What it talked about, I came to fulfill it. Those sacrifices in the ceremonial law pointed to Jesus. The Sabbath pointed to Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the law. He fulfilled it in the fact that that he is the real thing of the shadow. Because the law was the shadow. Jesus is the real thing. But the Jews were still hugging the shadow, the Jew, the the, the law. Instead of the real thing, Jesus. The feasts all pointed to Jesus. But also what we see in the book of the prophets, the prophecies fulfilled in Christ. And there's some that still have yet to be fulfilled. But we trust the faithfulness of God that those will be fulfilled by Christ. So he did not come to destroy, but to fulfill for assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. And a jot is the smallest Hebrew letter, whereas the tittle are the little lines or the little projections 
that shows that one Hebrew letter is different from another. So not one little piece from the law will, will, will pass until all is fulfilled. Then verse five, it says, for Moses writes about the righteousness, which is of the law. He says that the man who does those things shall live by them or will find life by them. Which I shared with you earlier, that is true if a person can perfectly obey the law. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. And so here, righteousness or the law of righteousness is personified. The law of righteousness is not a person, but it's given a human quality. So it's personified here, a figure, a type of figure of speech. And so this is what the righteousness of faith says. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? Who, who will go into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. And in the abyss here is a reference to the abode of the dead. And both of these verses, you can, these quotes you can find in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 12 and 13. And so what we see here is the difference between the righteousness of the law and of faith. For one, the righteousness of the law says do. It says work. But then grace or faith, of course, is not involved. But in verses six and seven. What I want to share with you is that these quotes from Deuteronomy 30 were originally talking about obeying the commandment of God. And it was saying that the commandment of God is not mysterious. Nor was there any extra work necessary to find the commandment. Therefore, the Israelites should be able to obey it. But here you see the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is reinterpreting the scriptures in Deuteronomy 30 and is using those scriptures to refer to Christ. And the Holy Spirit can do that because it's his word. And just to show the difference between the righteousness of the law and the righteousness of faith, the righteousness of faith says, hey, you don't have to do any work or extra thing to be declared righteous. That's what it says. Our righteousness is in Christ. That's what the righteousness of faith says. The righteousness is in Christ. In fact, you don't have to go to heaven and bring him down. He was already incarnated. Just celebrated Christmas. That that already happened. You, you don't have to go to the abode of the dead and raise them from the grave. Hey, that was already done. You don't need to do anything extra. The righteousness of faith says. And in verses 10 or chapter 10, verses 8 and 9, the word of God says, but but what does it say? What does the righteousness of faith say? What it says is. Remember, hey, you don't have to do those extra things. Bring Christ down, raise him up. But what it says is the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. You can find that in Deuteronomy 30, verse 14. Famous verse, verse nine, that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
So the righteousness of faith says, hey, the work has been done. The word of faith. The word of faith, speaking of the gospel about Jesus Christ, is near us. You don't have to pull it down. You don't have to bring it up. It's not mysterious. You don't have to dig anything to find it. That word of faith is it's near us. All that is left for people to do is believe. Believe in our hearts. Confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus. So what's happening here is the mouth is speaking with the heart first believes. So the mouth is going as the condition of the heart goes or as is. So we believe in our hearts who Jesus says he is. He's the son of the living God, the eternal God. He's the Messiah. He is Savior. We believe everything he says about himself. We believe in his person, to sum it up. We also believe in his work, the work that he accomplished. He was resurrected from the dead, which encompasses as well the his death on the cross. Because there's no resurrection if there's no death on the cross first. So it encompasses all that. So we, we receive that in our heart. We believe that in our heart. Who Jesus says he is. Who he reveals himself to be in the word. We believe the testimony of God the Father. About his only begotten son. We believe that he accomplished what the word of God says he accomplished. Believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. And we confess with our mouth. Confess him as Lord. That is who he really is. And you'll be saved. And just to piggyback on that in John chapter 6. People wanted to know what work God required of them. And so in John 6, 29, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God. That you believe in him who he sent. Believe in him who God the Father sent. We, we can't. Add to that, we can't take away from that. If he said it, then I'm going to say it. If he said it, then I'm going to believe it. In verses 10 through 13, it says, for with the heart, explaining uh, verse 9 in more detail, for with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. It confirms that salvation And confession, by the way, to confess means to say the same thing. So whatever God says, you say the same thing. That's that's confessing. If God calls something bad or sin, you confess it to be sin. If he if he if God says, hey, Jesus is the Christ, he's the son of the living God. You confess that you're saying the same thing. That's what uh, confessing means. And so. With that mouth, with our mouth, confession is made unto or confirming our salvation that we receive when we believe in our hearts. For the scripture says in verse 11, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord overall is rich to all who call upon him. That is call upon him in faith and in prayer. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when you're talking about the name of God, you're talking about his person. The name represents him. All that he encompasses. 
And so we talk much about the sovereignty of God. We talk much about election in the previous studies. How God chooses beforehand. But here we see the other side of the coin of salvation. We clearly see here people's responsibility in the salvation process. We see the phrases one believes. Whoever believes. We see another phrase, all who call upon him and whoever calls. And so we cannot blame God if we reject Jesus. If anybody goes to hell, eternal separation from God, they can't blame. Well, God, you didn't choose me. Well, did you choose him? You had an opportunity. And so we see another side of the coin of salvation here in this chapter. In verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Who bring glad tidings, who bring good news of good things. We are so blessed to have a message like this. We're so blessed to be able to carry a message like this to the world. Because people get enough of bad news. They can, they can hear bad news on any TV station just about. Radio station. Almost every other um, internet article. People can hear Bad news in so many ways. Somebody called them on the phone. Bad news. Send them a text. Bad news. Work. Bad news. Or nobody's getting a raise this year. Bad news. People hear enough of bad news. But we are so blessed that, that we bring, we, we have an opportunity to bring glad tidings. The gospel of Christ. Indeed, good news. That yes, you are in that bad predicament. Yes, you are in a hopeless situation. Yes, you are caught up in that sin. All that. Yes, you have struggles. Bad news. But good news is, hey, there's a savior. He died for your sins. He died in your place. Yes, you feel that guilt. Yes, you feel that condemnation. But there was a God who sent his son to die for your sins. Past, present, and future. He he rose again for your justification. You could be made right with God. You could be declared righteous. God will see you as if you never sinned in Christ. That is good news that we have. And we are blessed to receive that good news ourselves. But we are also blessed to be able to share these glad tidings. And therefore, the feet of those who bring the message of the gospel of peace... Why is it called the gospel of peace? Because it creates peace between us and God the Father. Jesus is that bridge that connects us to the Father. There was one mediator, the scriptures tell us, between God the Father and man. And it is the man, capital M, Christ Jesus. Remember, fully God, fully man is who Jesus is. He is the only mediator. He brings peace. And so we preach that message Uh, about him and how beautiful are the feet of those who bring this beautiful message. The feet are not beautiful. 
because somebody got them cleaned up and put some nail polish on them. They're beautiful because of the message that they are sharing. Second Corinthians five verses 18 through 20, it says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Not only did he save us, not only did he reconcile us to God, the father, but he allowed us to be in the service of of sharing a gospel that will help reconcile other people to God, the father as well. What a blessing that is. Don't deserve to be saved. But he saves us. Don't deserve to be loved, but yet he loves us. Don't deserve his mercy, but yet and still we experience his mercy. Don't deserve to be blessed, but yet and still he blesses us. And on top of that, he blesses us to be in the service of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors. We are representatives of Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore people. We urge people. We plead with people on Christ's behalf in Christ's place. We represent Christ on this earth. Just like Christ represented the father on this earth. So another, so in order for people to know what the invisible God is like, the invisible father is like, they will look at Jesus. In order for people to know what Jesus is like, they should be able to look at the life of a Christian. And we are his ambassadors on this earth. Representatives. We, we implore people on his behalf. Be reconciled to God. So what kind of message are we sharing? The type of message you're sharing, we are sharing, will determine what kind of feet we have in a metaphorical way. In verses 16 and 17, it says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In other words, it's saying that faith comes by What is heard and what is heard comes through the preaching of the word of God. This is God's method of drawing people to faith in the one whom the gospel message is about. Through the preaching of the word in first Corinthians one verse 21, it says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom, the world through their own wisdom, they didn't know God. But in the wisdom of God, it pleased him through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they that is, have Israel not heard? Yes, indeed, their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So not only did Israel hear God's message through the Old Testament scriptures, but they also heard God's message through general revelation that all people have. And what is general revelation? It's talking about creation in Psalm 19, 4. That's where that verse, that's where that scripture comes from in, in Romans 10, 18. It comes from Psalm 19. It's talking about creation speaking. 
personified again. So through creation, we should have an idea that is that, that there is a God. Creation speak that there's a God. So through the Old Testament scriptures, through creation, which is general revelation. And also through the Messiah. They have heard the Israelites have heard. They've heard the gospel. Read the book of Acts. You've seen you'll see plenty of times that, that the apostles shared the gospel with them. But I say in verse 19, did Israel not know? Did they not know that the gospel was to go also to the Gentiles? See, first Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. Speaking of the Gentiles, I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. That's from Deuteronomy 32, 21. It's quoting from scriptures in the Old Testament. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. So Israel was given hints in the scriptures that God will reach the Gentiles for salvation. Those who would receive Jesus Christ as their personal savior and Lord. Of course, many of us are Gentiles. And again, we we're saved. So the word of God is true. So Israel should have known that God was going to reach out to the Gentiles, that he was not just for them. And it says in Isaiah, which is quoted in in verse 20 here, that the Jews will be provoked to jealousy by the Gentiles. But the question is, are we living a lifestyle and are we serving God in a way that will make them jealous? Are we serving God in a way? Are we loving God in a way that will make the Jews say, hey, I want what they have. I didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah at first, but you know what? I want to give him a try. Are we living in that way that will make them jealous? Is our lifestyle in such a manner? Are we serving God in such a way that any unbeliever will look at us and want what we have? In other words, if our lifestyle, if our relationship with God was on social media, would it say hashtag relationship goals when they look at our relationship with God? Would people say that? In verse 21, but to Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hands. All day long, he says, I open my arms to a disobedient and contrary people. And so when we look at verse 21, what does this imagery of God with outstretched arms, with outstretched hands, what does it suggest? It suggests that it's an invitation to come to him. It shows that he is compassionate towards his people with those outstretched hands, those open arms. It demonstrates the love that he has for his people with those open arms that he has. And he stretches them out all day long, which shows that God is a long suffering God, not willing for anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance and to his chosen nation, Israel, to the Jews. His arms are open in love and compassion. It shows that he, there is a willingness to help. 
And if you pay attention closely to verse 21, his, his arms are open wide to, to people who are disobedient and contrary. His arms are not open wide, it says, to people who are perfect, to people who are righteous in and of themselves. But no, his arms are open wide to disobedient and contrary people speaking in this specific uh, example, in this context of, of Jews. And that scripture comes from Isaiah 65 too. And if you read the following verses in, in Isaiah 65, it will show what kind of ways these Israelites had. It says that they walked according to their own thoughts. They worship idol gods. They practice things that were forbidden. They disobeyed the dietary laws they were given. They were proud. They were self-righteous. And yet he reached out to them through his word. He reached out to them by sending the prophets. He reached out to them through sending the Christ, Jesus, the Messiah. And in that description of the Israelites' behavior, Hopefully we're not just looking at them giggling or looking down at them because as we see or have heard that description of the Israelites behavior, hopefully we can see a picture of us. BC, that is, of course, before Christ, we too were disobedient and contrary to the standards of God. As it tells us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and we fall short. Of his glory. We fall short of his standards. And so we can't look down on the Israelite people. But yet and still, God had his arms open wide to them, giving them an invitation, loving on them, being compassionate toward them, showing them that he was willing to help and receive them. And this same God who had his arms open to the Israelites who were disobedient and contrary to his word, to his ways, that same God had his arms wide open to us. And he still has them wide open to unbelievers, people who have not received Christ. Even now, his arms are still wide open. And we have experienced his open arms through his word. We have experienced his open arms through other Christians. We have experienced God's open arm through his preachers. In other words, those Christians who shared the word of God with you when you were an unbeliever, those people who had beautiful feet sharing a beautiful message. That was a display of God's open and welcoming arms. And the fact that God is ready to accept those who come to him by faith in Christ Jesus. That's good news to those of you, to people in the world who feel rejected. They feel rejected by society, feel rejected by family and friends. But it's good news to know that there is a God, the God of the Bible, that we have a savior who has open arms, who will not reject, who will receive those who repent of their sins and put their faith in him. As it says, and this is the last scripture of the night in John six thirty seven, as the worship team comes forward, Jesus says, all that the father gives me will come to me. And so there, in one verse, this same verse, we see the sovereignty of God. But in the same verse, we also see the responsibility of mankind. Because following that, it says, and the one who comes to me, that's human responsibility. Notice this, good news for those of you who feel rejected. If you haven't received Christ tonight, 
Notice what he says. The one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. I will by no means reject. My arms are open wide. They, they welcome you. So if you haven't received Jesus in your life and made him your personal savior, if, he, if he's not the Lord of your life, if you never repented and asked for forgiveness of your sins, you can do that tonight and I'm willing and there's other people in here willing who are just just willing to pray with you. Wonder if you remember or if you can picture in your mind little children after they fall, after they get hurt. What do they do? They run. They run to the open arms of their parents. They run there for safety. They run there for comfort. So again, if you haven't received Christ, be like that child running to the open arms of his or her parents. Tomorrow isn't promise. That's something that God spoke directly to my heart when I was arguing with God. 18 years old, 1997, the year I got saved, arguing, going back and forth with God, telling him my plans and spoke to my heart. And I don't even remember reading this scripture, but he said, tomorrow's not promised. And I couldn't argue with him anymore. And I want to share that same message with you. Yeah, we're in another year, 2020, but the next day, the next year, it's not promised. So if you haven't received them, we're willing to pray with you. But there is a final exhortation that I want to share with believers because most of us in here are believers. The exhortation that I want to share with you is that in 2020, that we will be determined To allow God to use us to be an extension of his open arms. Let's say that one more time. In 2020, my prayer, my encouragement to you, to all of us as believers, is that we will be determined to allow God to use us to be an extension of his open arms. Tonight, we're going to participate, if you desire to, in, in communion. If you're new or visiting, it's a little different from Sunday mornings. So we have some elements at the front, some at the back of the sanctuary. And I would encourage you to spend time praying and asking God to show you if there's any sin in your life that you need to confess and repent of. And so it's a time of examination, but it's a time of remembrance. And we're remembering the fact that, that Jesus gave his body to be beaten and bludgeoned and abused for us and that he also shed his blood was a sin offering for us so that we won't have to be eternally separated from God 
And so we remember that. We proclaim it. We preach that when we partake of that bread and of that cup. And so anytime you're moved, you can, of course, after you pray, take the elements, take them back to your seat. Pray by yourself. Or maybe with your mate and partake on your own. So when I, for those of you who are new or visiting, so when I leave from this stage, I'm not going to come back up and lead you in partaking. So just want to throw that out there. But I do want to remind you that I'll be here willing and ready to pray with you. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for receiving us with open, loving, compassionate arms that brings us so much comfort. And we thank you that those those arms are still open to a dying world today. And we thank you, Lord, for the body of Christ, for the blood that was shed on Calvary's cross. And we do pray that you forgive us of our sins. Now, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, that in every classroom on this campus, that they would leave this campus better than when they came. Not because of some self-help book or some pep talk, but because of your Holy Spirit working in and through their lives. And may you bless them, Lord, with traveling grace back home. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you all for coming out. God bless you. We love you. And may God use you in a mighty way in 2020, beginning tonight. Amen. God bless.
guilt within Would I look and see him there Who made an end of all my sin Because the sinless Savior died My sinful soul is counted free For God the just is satisfied To look on Him and pardon me To look on Him and pardon me Hallelujah Hallelujah Praise the One Risen Son of God Behold Him there, the risen Lamb My perfect spotless righteousness The great unchangeable I am The King of glory Made one with Him, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by His blood. My life is hid with Christ on high. With Christ my Savior and my God. With Christ my Savior and my God. Son of God, hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the one risen Son. Son of God, praise the one risen Son of God. Thank you, Lord, for just allowing us to be able to receive that gift of salvation by faith that you've now grafted us in. We've become members of your permanent family. We were once your enemies, and now we're your beloved. So we thank you, God, so much for that forgiveness. Help us just to be excited about that this year, to be able to go out and share it with everybody that you put in our path. Just lead us by your Spirit. We thank you, God. Send us out in victory. And keep us all safe and healthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.